Lesson number nine, we're calling it Getting Your House in Order, and we're going to teach you how to die. Uh, many animals, when you look at their life cycle, animals know when they're going to die, and most of them will go off someplace, circle around, bed down, and die. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a cave, because that's one of my hobbies is caving, and you find an animal deep in a cave that doesn't belong there, who went in there to bed down to die because they knew their time was coming. They prepared and they separated themselves from the pack or the herd or the flock. And um, yeah, they went in there to die. One time I came across a raccoon way deep in a cave and he was not happy to be disturbed. And I was not happy to find him not happy. It was a little creepy because uh, a raccoon is mean anyway, much less one that's ready to die. Death is the one event guaranteed to all mankind the instant we are conceived. The moment you are conceived, death is the one thing we all have in common. We're all promised death. Sometimes those babies are miscarried and they pass away in the womb. Sometimes, unfortunately, they are aborted by wicked institutions and demonized young ladies who don't know what else to do. But once you're born, death is the one thing we all have in common. It's the one destiny we will all partake of the same and equally. The second we receive life, we know that one day our biological body will be extinguished. And this is important to consider. Every one of you here, you all have one thing coming in common, death. And you all know if you'll face it, it is a reality. You cannot escape it. Even if we're raptured, your body still has to die. I personally do not believe I will live to see the rapture. I don't mean to, I don't know, discourage you. I don't believe I will live to see it. I believe it will be beyond my time. I've got some private promises from God with long life. And, and honestly, if he, if he ruins that and comes sooner, I'm not going to complain a bit. But my point with that is to say we should all live by faith and prepare for a long life and then a passing. We cannot let the promise of a rapture be our escapist jet pod mentality. And too many modern-day evangelicals see the rapture as their escapist. It's a bunker-prepper doctrine to them. And it's not meant to be a bunker-prepper mentality. It's the day of our judgment, and we have to live for it like never before. Death is our final enemy. It is yet to be destroyed. Death has not been overcome yet. It will not be put down until after the millennial reign of Christ. Until then, we can only overcome death through the resurrection of the dead. All of us will taste death in our physical body. Again, even in the rapture, your biology will cease to exist, and that is death having its effect because mortality cannot inherit immortality. Until the end of the millennium, we can only overcome death through the resurrection of the dead. Therefore, you can count on death coming for you should the Lord's return tarry. So let me establish this very thoroughly. Unless the Lord return, all of us are going to die. It's the one thing guaranteed. We have no understanding of what next year holds. In the natural, we don't understand what five years from now holds, but we do know death is coming for all of us at some point, and so we have to put our house in order. And if you know that 30 years from now, 40 years from now, 60 years from now, you're going to pass away, why would you not begin to prepare to some capacity now? And the older you are, the lot closer your extinction is. So you should be preparing a lot quicker, a lot more vigilantly, because it's a lot more assured to you to happen a lot more sooner. You can't faith death away. You can't pray it away. 
All you can do is prepare for it and live for Jesus Christ every day. Now, we can believe for longer life. We can believe for an extension like Hezekiah and get 15 more years. But eventually, it has to come for us. And as we taught in, I think, lesson four, you don't have to die of sickness. You don't have to die of tragedy. You can die when you finish your race and God tells you the mountain you're going to die on and the day you're going to die on and you gather your loved ones around and you pray for them, bless them. Everything's prepared. Your replacement has been trained up and now you're done and now I'm hitting the eject button and I release my spirit. That is the biblical way to die. It is total ignorance, total doctrinal heresy to say, well, you just never know and when it's your time to go, it's your time to go and nobody knows when it's their time to go. You're ignorant of the Bible and you probably don't live for God. But I have to teach these things so we have faith to die. Everything we do, even as Hebrew says, these all died in, so there's a faith to die. We were taught faith for Rolexes, faith for watches, faith for whatever, but we weren't taught how to live uh, and have faith in our passing away. If you're going to live in faith, you might as well die in it. Go out with a bang. Go out telling everybody, this time next year, I'm going to go home. And that'll become a testimony in your passing. Unexpected death is not a good testimony. All you can do is prepare for death and live for Jesus Christ every day. Part of living for Jesus Christ includes giving the more earnest heed to prepare for your or our impending passing. God is a God of order. Our next section, his triune nature is in order. We need to confirm that God is a God of order. His creation is in order. The study of it is called the sciences, and they're unlocking new order every day in the study of the sciences. The Mosaic Tabernacle had a divine order. Solomon's Temple had a divine order. His Old Testament priesthood had a divine order. His New Testament church has a divine order. He requires order and organization from his leaders. God is a God of order. Everything we do from birth, from the second you're conceived, is organized. You can only get pregnant in a season that is organized. And then once you're pregnant, every hormonal system in your body begins to move through an organizational process that brings about your life. You breathe air in, you breathe air out. Everything is a process. And yet somehow that doesn't translate to our day-to-day -day living. And unfortunately, it doesn't translate to our passing away. God is a God of order. He expects his leaders to be organized. Mature Christians are organized and orderly in everything they do. Mature Christians are organized and orderly in everything they do. Their yard doesn't look like Sanford and Son. Their house doesn't look like Sanford and Son. Their checkbook doesn't look like the Federal Reserve. Their, amen. Everything, a mature Christian, everything about them is decently and in order because that is our God. 1 Timothy 3, 2 says a bishop, that means a leader, a mature leader. We won't get into the officers of the church, but a bishop, an overseer, one who desires the office or the responsibility of a bishop must then be blameless. One of the descriptors or qualifications is what the King James calls good behavior, which sounds like you just behave yourself, but that's not the Greek. That's the best the King James could come up with. Other translations are more accurate. Good behavior is translated respectable, prudent, and live wisely in other translations. It comes from the Greek words cosmios, which means well-arranged and orderly. So a bishop, if you want to be a mature leader in the house of God, your life must be well-arranged and orderly. This means you obey your time clock. You can keep time. You don't come to late to things. You have an organized checkbook. You know your income. You know your outflow. 
Your household is in order. doesn't mean it doesn't get to be a mess from time to time, but the mess is the exception, not the rule. Order is the rule. The mess is the exception. Many Christians, mess is the rule. Order is the exception. Cosmos means harmonious arrangement, order, constitution, or government. Cosmos, it's where we get our word cosmos from because the philosophers and the early scientists looked up into the stars and they said, how arranged, how organized, how brilliant. The stars come around once a year and they don't move. And now we know we set our atomic clocks by the movement of the stars. So that's why we call the cosmos the cosmos because God made it and it's well arranged and organized. Comizo uh, uh, means to care for, to provide for, to tend. These this is a cognate family of Greek words. God is a God of organization and order. Our God uh, is a God of order, and when he touches something, he brings order to it. When we got born again, it should have begun to bring organization, stability. Truly, I don't know how a Christian can be a hoarder. Hoarding is not cosmotic. Hoarding is a, uh, a psychological disorder. If they're making a reality TV show about you, guess what? You're not winning. Anybody who's had a reality TV show about them, there's got to be drama and a sideshow about it because if it bleeds, it leads. And if you have a TV show called Hoarders and you belong on it, you need more of Jesus in your life. I've, I've told folks... Don't let your kinsfolk who are, who are left after you die to look at your house and say, a gallon of diesel and a road flare will fix my problem. If that's how you go out, you have failed your children or your grandchildren. Give me five gallons of diesel and a flare gun, and I'll stand back, and we'll solve mom's problem or dad's problem or uncle's problem. Let, don't call the fire department and say, hey, you guys want some practice? <laughs> He expects our new life in the Spirit to reflect that touch and influence of divine order. Sin brings chaos and disorder, so hopefully we don't have a lot of that working in us. And some of you, maybe your parents live that way, move away from that. You don't have to be condemning of them. You can encourage them. Uh, but you want to make sure that you don't look anything like the sinfulness of your family you look like the righteous, holy organization of your God. The hand of God upon our life must demonstrate this sense of organization. To that end, God even expects order from us in matters of our death. So if we live according to the gospel, then we should die according to the gospel. And if we are to live organized and harmonious, then we should die organized and harmonious. This just makes perfect sense. Amos 4.12, prepare to meet your God. Prepare. This is a famous passage or a famous verse used at funerals. It's used at revivals to warn people who are about to die because of their sin. But notice there's a preparation that is commanded us before we meet our God. We know that death is the ultimate invitation to meet God. Certainly he comes down in seasons of judgment or like when Israel went up to the mountain, they were going to meet their God. But this is not written in the Exodus. It's written in Amos. But notice there is a preparation to be made when death is expected. There are many deathbed confessions because some people, when they realize they're dying, the only thing they have time to get right is their relationship with God. That's you waiting to the last minute to actually recognize there's a God again. That's not how we live. 
That's how the backslidden Christian lives. Thank God for deathbed conversions. Thank God for deathbed confessions. Thank God for people realizing like the dog, my death is near and I need to get right with my God before I meet him face to face. But if that's when you're getting right with God, then we know you're dying disorganized. Look at Isaiah 38, and then we also have this note to compare it to 2 Kings 20 because of the same story. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came unto him and said unto him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. This, of course, was divine judgment, but do you see the command? Set your house in order because you're going to die. Now, that, that applies to us. We're not under divine judgment like Hezekiah was for pride, but the same rule applies to us. Get your house in order because you will die. And, of course, if you live organized, then pre preparing for your death is nothing but just an extra thing on your to-do list because you're already organized. The whole purpose of this lesson is to show you some things on how to get your house in order. We've got to move quickly, though. We are commanded to die with our house in order. Do not die in disarray. Do not die in disarray. Do not live in disarray. Don't be a hoarder. We live in the South. The South is good at hoarding. The South is good at poverty. The South is good at not finishing a lot of projects. Not just the South, but every culture has this thing. But we are a very uh, a, a, a consumer-driven culture. We have more consumers than we do producers. And people make money off of our consumption. And most of the time our consumption is half consumed and then it gets tossed to the waste heap of our closet or our yard, depending on what part of Possum Holler you live in. And this is not the will of God. Never allow death to leave you, your house, or your loved ones in disarray. Sadly, most Christians live chaotic and us in undisciplined lives, and so they will die just the same. Chaotic and undisciplined. If you live undisciplined, you'll die undisciplined. And discipline takes energy, it takes work, it takes focus, it takes discipline. Discipline takes discipline, but you can't be a disciple of Jesus Christ without discipline. This is a poor testimony. I've done enough funerals where we're trying to avoid the elephant at the funeral parlor, which is how they really lived. We're trying to squeeze out, squeeze the chamois of their life out to find some good things to say. Well, I know everybody sitting there is irritated. They're crying, but I'm not sure if it's tears of sorrow, tears of I'd like to wring their neck. If it wouldn't be corpse abuse, I'd go up there and strangle grandma right now for what she's left, or grandpa. And you don't know how many times I've heard people say at the funeral or at the wake, when I get to heaven, they shake that finger. When I get to heaven and see them, if I could bloody their nose, it's going to bleed. That's their emotion speaking right now. That's a horrible testimony when you die. <laughs> Amen. Look at another story here, 2 Samuel 17, 23. And when Ahithophel, that was one of David's most trusted counselors, saw that his counsel was not followed by David, he saddled his ass and arose and got him home to his house, to his city, put his household in order, not just his house, his household, because he was a powerful man. And he hanged himself and died and was buried in the sepulcher of his father. What we see here is we see he put his house in order. He's going to commit suicide, but he got everything in order. It says household because he didn't just have a wife. He had children and grandchildren and properties and servants and industry. 
This was a very high-ranking official in David's house. And at least if he's going to be selfish in taking his life, he's going to at least have everything in place so that in his passing, things go on. Now, as I was studying this and writing this lesson, I was reminded by the Lord, I believe, of a dear friend of our family that committed suicide several years ago. And this man had a three-year plan in his committing of suicide. Now, he fought depression heavily. He was a Catholic man. Uh, one of our dear friends out of Louisiana, lifelong friends of our family, we've been to each other's funerals, uh, not funerals, well, we went to that, but weddings. We were there for weddings and babies and Christmases together, and etc. And he had fought depression. He had attempted suicide at one point. And when you attempt suicide, you don't get life insurance. There has to be a two-year margin of time passed before you can re-qualify for life insurance. And he knew this. So after the two-year attempt, he didn't try anything for two years. Then he qualifies again, takes out a huge policy on himself, and begins to prepare for a whole year. He put his business in order. He put his, uh, who he worked for, he got everything straightened out there. The reason he was committing suicide was because of gambling debt, we found out later. And he did not want to leave that on his family. He didn't see any way out. Of course, as a Catholic, I don't know if he was born again. He had some form of religiosity, but I think it was more tradition and, and uh, ritual to him. So he didn't know anything about calling on the name of Jesus or mercy or prayer other than rubbing beads and lighting candles for the dead, which has no power to it. And so the day that he committed suicide, he went to the pawn shop and bought a 22 pistol. He went and got a haircut. He had lunch with his daughter. And then he went to his office, put his office in order, organized everything on the desk, put a door, or excuse me, a chair under the door so nobody could walk in. And then he sat back in his chair and shot himself in the head. A three-year plan, but everything, now the selfish, and I'm not obviously commending any of this, but this man spent three years putting everything in order so his family would be set up. That is organization. Now, it's, it's a it's biblical, but it's not righteous. It's a biblical experience. Ahithophel did the same thing. We don't know how long it took Ahithophel to put his house in order. But if this man, demon-bent on suicide, could put his house in order and prepare for his wife to live and all the debts to be paid and the children to be taken care of, shouldn't we, as born-again, righteous, spirit-filled, holy, Bible-attending, clean-living Christians, be able to prepare for our death that it's not going to be by our own hand? Absolutely. Though Ahithophel committed suicide, he was at least conscientious of his estate and the void he would leave at his death. It appears he was just as deliberate and purposed in setting his household in order as he was in his suicide. Strategic. So why do Christians die in disarray? The death of a loved one is painful enough, but to die and leave your household in disarray makes a painful event unnecessarily stressful for those you leave behind. And for that reason, it's selfish. There are a couple of reasons why Christians refuse to prepare for the death. Number one, fear of mortality. You're all going to die. It's just not going to be today or anytime soon. My schedule has no permission this next year for any of you to die, so don't. I've said for years now, death is very inconvenient for everyone who's stuck behind. The only person who it's convenient for is whoever dies because they don't have to do anything. Hopefully they go to heaven and they can have 
peace. But for the rest of us, boy, I've had so many things inconvenienced by some loved one dying. Oh, great. So-and-so died. There's another trip to Louisiana we're going to have to make. Well, I've got to come up with the money for travel. I've got to come up with time off from work. You've had to do the same thing. Fear of mortality. Number two, superstition. Every culture has a superstition of death. We think, even in the pagan cultures, even in the charismatic cultures, even in the word of faith cultures, if we talk about death, 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 I'm going to die, it may happen today. That is superstition and paganism, even in the heart of a born-again, tongue-talking, word of faith Christian. The Bible talks about death hundreds of times, and so can you, and it doesn't bring it to you. Ignorance, we'll resolve ignorance with this lesson. And then laziness, I don't know how to fix laziness. Fear of mortality, first point. It's normal for pagans to fear their mortality, but not Christians. Pagans should be afraid of dying because they're going to hell when it happens. Hebrews 2.15, Jesus Christ was manifest to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. If you're afraid of death, you don't get to enjoy life. And notice it says all their life they were in bondage to the fear of death. How can you live if you're afraid of dying? Some people this really sets upon them and it enslaves them. Sometimes it is a demon of death that talks to them and makes them afraid of everything. But you don't have to be afraid of any of this. Jesus Christ has been made manifest to deliver us from fear. The fear of death is bondage. You are going to die. Loved ones will mourn you, honor you, lay your body to rest, and then divide your goods like vultures. I used to have a hobby of going to estate sales when I lived in Oak Ridge because when I lived there 20 years ago, the greatest generation of physicists who built the atom bomb were passing away, and they had the coolest stuff ever. And they were all smart and organized. It wasn't junk. It wasn't like grandma's antique shop. These things were museum quality slide rules, museum quality things that they built the atom bomb with. And it was crowded and picked over like ants on a dead possum. Because when you die, one of the sick things humans do is we rummage through your stuff and take what is yours into our own. And life goes on. Because of fear, we refuse to talk about death, let alone plan for it. There's a whole psychology behind this fear. Jesus cut through all of it and just said, I'm the resurrection and the life, period. NASA has its astronauts sit down with their families before space missions and figuratively stare death in the face. They have a set of questions they ask before every mission. What are your plans if your loved one doesn't come back from this mission? What is your insurance? What is your debt? Do you have a college fund? And they actually have a whole division in NASA that prepares families for the potential death of the next flight, the next mission. And they work with them to get insurance set up, to get college funds, trust funds. There's a whole department within NASA to prepare the families of those astronauts for what happens if we have another Challenger or another, uh, it, wasn't, it was Columbia. What happens? Everything is set in order before the flight so the family on earth can be at ease in the worst case scenario. And it's time to face the same fear of death. And I, I listened to an interview of this. This is why I know about it. And the families being interviewed say, it's amazing how much staring death in the face puts you at ease. How much having everything in order puts you at ease. And at least when the rockets ignite, you know if something happens, everything else is taken care of. Superstition. 
Charismatics and word of faith may be some of the worst on the planet about this. Just because we speak in tongues doesn't mean that pagan sin nature doesn't still exist in our flesh. Charismatics are crazy superstitious because we dabble in the supernatural. The second reason many believers don't prepare for death is because of Christian superstition. Our doctrine of positive confession often loses touch with reality and the Bible. Superstition has grown up like a vine in our doctrine and taught us that if we talked about or planned for our own demise, it might even hasten it or worse, make it happen today. Or perhaps we think if I don't talk about it, maybe it won't ever happen. Yeah, because that's logical. If I don't talk about it, it won't happen. No, it will happen. This is lunacy. The Bible commands us to prepare for death. Remember, the patriarchs saw their death coming and pronounced blessings. Jesus spoke of his own death constantly. Constantly. The Son of God spoke of his death, and it wasn't a lack of faith, and it didn't hasten it. He had to prepare his disciples for his departure. Peter and Paul both spoke of their own deaths in their epistles. They both said, my time is at hand. The coming of my departure is at hand. If you don't face your death, you can't pass the spiritual baton. Most Christians will die without training up their replacement. They'll die and leave a void. And honestly, the body of Christ seems to be shrinking just through mere attrition. We die and there's no replacement troop for us because we haven't trained up our disciple. Even a, a good housewife should train up a disciple housewife in the church to show them what good housewifing looks like. Or a good Christian businessman should find a younger Christian businessman and teach him how to run his business like a Christian and pass the baton. Ignorance, the third reason we don't prepare for our death is ignorance. Ignorance will be resolved with this lesson. What follows are some things that must be considered in setting your house in order. I believe these things are a must if you are married, have dependents, have health issues, or are over 40. Most animals can perceive their death is at hand and will go off and prepare. Shouldn't you humans be half as wise? And laziness, the final reason for dying with your house in disarray is just laziness. Once you have been informed, the only remaining reason for a disorganized death is laziness. Getting your house in order takes work. Often retirees fall into the slumber of retirement and wake up dead. Don't wake up dead. Retirement from a career does not give you permission from God to retire from life. Wake up, O oh sluggard, get your house in order because the day of your departure is closer now than it has ever been. So what I need to run through in the next 18 minutes are these things we must do to get our house in order. This applies to every person in here because you're all either over 40 or you have dependents. So getting your house in order, the following are some common sense guidelines to getting your house in order. Budget. This is for anybody with a pulse. That's you. If you have a pulse, begin by living your entire life on a budget, getting out of debt, and living debt-free. And don't help children who are grown who are horrible with money. Don't throw your good money after bad. At some point, they have to stop looking to mommy and daddy for money. Hang them out to dry. Let them learn to cry out to God. Because as long as mommy is extending the apron string, sweetie's going to come grab a hold of it. And at some point, you were supposed to kick them out of the nest. Live beneath your means. Every Christian should live beneath their means. 
adding bonuses and raises to savings, not always expanding your cost of living just because your pay raise went up. Don't be poverty-minded and consume your pay raise on things you don't need. Let your pay raises go into savings or investments. If you've already been living comfortably at the pay raise you're at or the pay grade you're at, if you get a bonus or a promotion, save it or knock out debt with it. But the reason some of you are still in debt is because you spend money faster than you make it and you don't attack debt like it's your enemy and it is your enemy. This is a spiritual problem. There's no reason you can't be totally debt-free except for a mortgage in less than five years if you're willing to make the sacrifices that are necessary. And of course, we have taught that for the first two months of every year for nine years. So nine years of teaching on financial stewardship, there isn't a single family in this household that should not have been completely out of debt with the exception of a mortgage. Or maybe if you had this massive medical expenditure, upwards of 100000 I could understand that massive debt. But credit card debt and car debt, you can't beat that in nine years. You are lazy. And you don't do what you're taught. All right, we pastored there for a moment. Did you feel that? That was a pastoral moment. <laughs> Um, you should aim to have a savings account and then investments. How can your barn burst forth with overflowing if you don't have a barn? That's your storage. This takes organization and discipline. See our pod school lessons on financial stewardship or listen to them for the last nine years. Health for those with a pulse. Our modern knowledge and medical science combined with the fruit of self-control should cause every American Christian to live among the top healthy minority of our society. Teach your children how to live and eat healthy. Fat parents have fat kids. Chubby parents have chubby kids because it's a lifestyle. You have to be in shape because your children will become what they behold. Your children is as much of how you live as what you teach them. And children are a product of what you do prune and what you don't prune, what you invest and what you don't put into them. Your children are a reflection of your spiritual health. They are baptized and marinated in the spirit of your home from birth till 18. And so you have to get in health. Health is critical if you want to finish your race. I have a lot of pastor friends that died prematurely because they were fat and had dominion over every demon but the spoon. And how can you cast out demons but you can't cast out the munchies? It's a shame some folks can't even master the fork. The Bible says put a knife to your throat. To quote Dr. Barclay, stay away from the pig food. I like that quote. I had my annual checkup two weeks ago, and I was talking to my, my doctor. He's a, he's a Christian, spirit-filled man. He does missionary trips and had actually just gotten back from Haiti. So we were talking about fat, broken, crazy, and he said, I can't even talk to a lot of my patients about their weight because they get offended at me. And he said, I'm the doctor, and they're offended at me trying to help them, and they're fat. And he said this. I just saw this a couple weeks ago. I just saw an article. He said, and we know that obesity causes dementia. I said, you know that? He said, yeah. I said, I just read that in an article from BBC this week. He said, we've known that for years. Obesity causes memory loss and dementia, as well as heart attacks and strokes and diabetes. So the easiest thing to do is just stay away from the pig food. Your body wasn't designed to be overweight. 
Your body can't handle it. And medical science calls obesity a disease. And it's the only disease I can think of, and I'm not a medical professional, but it's the only disease I can think of that's self-inflicted and then self-fed. And our society is trying to make it lovely and beautiful. Oh, I don't care about what you look like. Please don't misunderstand me. But we can't go and say fat is beautiful when fat is a disease. We don't care about your shape. That's not the problem. That your health is the problem. So get in health. Long life uh, Christians should not live on the sick and obese list of society. Don't diet. Make a lifestyle change. Get a primary care physician. These are things I've taught over and over and over and over again for years. Get a primary care physician. Men are the worst at primary care physicians because we'll go 10 years without being checked up. And in those 10 years, something starts growing in your nether regions called prostate cancer. And they could have gotten it early or in the colorectal area. You have to have an annual physical so your doctor can detect anything that springs up. When you go 10 years, you don't know what can grow undetected. And all of a sudden, you're fighting Kilimanjaro when it should have just been a Tennessee molehill. But men are stubborn on this. My dad is stubborn on this. Most men I know is stubborn on this. And I know we fear Dr. Knuckles and the coming proctal exam. But if it saves your life and you don't have to wear a colostomy bag the rest of your life, let Dr. Knuckles lube up and take care of you. Because it sure beats pooping in a bag the rest of your life. That's good preaching right there. I'm just going to... He told me, any... <laughs> Any history of rectal cancer or colon cancer? No, sir. Then we don't have to worry about anything until you're 50. I got eight years. Jesus, help me. And then I want to ask, do you have anybody with smaller fingers? We talk about this because this is what happens. Why are you uncomfortable about it? If you're going to live a long life, you do what it takes. I just have to tell myself, these are doctors, and this is science to them. This is what they do all day long. Why they chose to get eight years of medical degree on this, I have no idea. But to them, it's just science. All right, let's move on. Get a primary care physician, have an annual physical, and obey your doctor's orders. This will take organization and discipline. Uh, next section, will and testimony. If you have kids, you need to have one of these. I don't care if you're 20-something and your kids are little. If you have children, you need to have a will and a testimony, a living will, a power of attorney. I can't go into that here. Don't know all there is to know about it. If you're married or have children, you should have a will and a living will, power of attorney. This will help things tremendously when you pass away or should you become incapacitated. God left us a will and New Testament. We should be like him. Those were his last marching orders when he left us. You need to have that should you leave your family. This takes a little bit of time, but very little money. It must be legally sound to be admissible in court and honored by the authorities involved. In the meantime, it's easy to sit down with your spouse and develop a list of bank accounts and passwords, especially if the one who passes away controlled all of that. Sit down and have a list of the email addresses that they operated through and all of those passwords. I have probably 11 or 12 email accounts. And they have passwords on all of them. And some of them I use when I don't want to uh, have anybody contact me and I need to apply uh, an email address, like when I travel and I need to Wi-Fi in an email address, I give them my Yahoo account all day long because the Yahoo accounts get hacked on a regular basis. I probably have a million unchecked emails in my Yahoo account. And that's who I give when I don't want people talking to me. 
So if you've ever been given my Yahoo account, you should pray harder and be a better sheep. <laughs> Credit card information. You need to make sure you're contacting them after the death of a loved one and they're not contacting you because if they're contacting you, they're not going to be happy. Passwords on that. Investments and passwords. A list of outstanding debt and debt holders, etc., etc. And I recommend that all this information be kept somewhere safe, either on a phone app, a safe flash drive, an email of a list that's sent to a loved one because you can store emails indefinitely. Uh, and never deleted in a portable fire safe for all of the above. This needs to be held somewhere in the unfortunate event of a passing of a loved one. Whoever manages the money should share the how and the password with their spouse. And the key here is to not leave anyone in the dark or make their job any more difficult than your passing already is. There's already going to be a mess. Even the most disciplined thing will be a little messy. Discuss this information from time to time and keep all the data updated. Know where they, your medical records are. Your spouse needs to know who your primary care physician is so they could go and get medical records to get the death certificate. There's just a lot that goes into death. And I'm telling you, charismatics seem to be the worst on this because we just want to say, la, 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 I'll be in glory, la, la, la. You're really selfish because you're in glory doing nothing. And meanwhile, the people who loved you the most are hurt the most, and they're picking up your pieces, and they're wanting to mourn, but they have creditors calling them, they have doctors calling them, they have the funeral home calling them, and it's just not fair. Prepaid funeral arrangements. Death is expensive. Funerals are expensive. As of 2018, the average American funeral was approximately $8,000. That's the average. That's assuming you can get a cheap plot. Cremation is a little cheaper option, but still pricey, and some Christians don't, don't believe in it. Um, they have their, their conscience and scripture for some of that. Prepaid funerals take an enormous burden off of your family in time of sorrow. I would recommend planning and prepaying for your own funeral if you are over 60 or 65. That should be done, because when you're 60 or 65, you're in the last third of your life. You're in the last quarter of your life. Honestly, you might be in the last 10 or 15 years of your life. And if you have health issues and you're over 60 or 65, this could be coming a lot quicker. Most funeral homes offer help guides, information packets, and pre-planned forms upon request. All of ours in this city, you can go in there. Most of them have a published packet that will walk you through all of this. They have forms you can fill out. They, can ha uh, they have uh, information you fill out. You can sit down and talk with them. The other thing about a pre-play, pre paid plan is you lock in a price early because funerals only get more and more expensive. So you go ahead and prepay it now and it may save your family 10 or excuse me, two, three, four thousand dollars if you live another 10 or 15 years. So it's actually fiscally wise to prepay and pre-plan once you hit about 60 or 65. There's no hard rule to that. You might live to be 90, but hey, at 90, your funeral might be a hundred thousand dollars. Whereas today it's only 8,000. All right. If you want, here's the things you need to discuss. Do you want to be buried or cremated? What is to be done with your ashes? Do we shoot it off in fireworks? Do we sprinkle it in the Christmas eggnog at the family reunion? Don't tell anybody till after the fact. 
Do we want the family to take you to the beach and throw you on the ocean? Do you want them to make an ashtray out of you? No pun intended, but they can like epoxy that thing together. Do they have like a little miniature bust of you that your ashes are going to be pressed into and you can sit on the mantle as a bookend and there's dad looking at you the rest of your life. What do you want done with your ashes? You should talk about this. Where, if you're not going to be cremated, but you want to be buried in a biblical fashion, where do you want to be buried? What town? What cemetery? By whose remains? If you've had multiple spouses because of death or divorce, who are you going to be buried by? Do you want to be buried by mom and dad? And if mom and dad, why not your spouse? You have to discuss this. Otherwise, who's left is going to just figure out what to do with your body. Do you want a public cemetery, a mausoleum, a private family estate, etc.? What are your wishes for the funeral service? Where will it be held? Who will officiate? What will be the order of service? What songs do you want sung? Who do you want to testify? And maybe Aunt Edna shows up and you hate her guts and you don't want her to eulogize you. You're in heaven thinking, all right, when you get to heaven, I'm going to deal with you. Leave these plans. They said of Dr. Lester Summerall, he had planned his whole funeral sermon before he died years. And he said, why? they said, why? I think one of the sons said, why, Dad? Because I just went to this one funeral and people say the stupidest thing over the people that are dead. I don't want anybody to say anything stupid over me. So I wrote down what everybody's going to do because I want it the way I want it. That takes planning. Remember, Abraham bought a field and a grave in advance. That's a pre-planned funeral. Jesus believed in pre-planned, pre-paid burials. Joseph of Arimathea had just purchased a new tomb in which he laid the Lord's body. They weren't scrambling. Jesus was so thankful, he just borrowed it for a few days. It was, the Bible says Joseph of Arimathea had just recently purchased a new tomb. So it is biblical to prepay and preplan. Inheritance. Upon your death, so you need to have an inheritance. If anything remains in your estate after your debts are paid, and assuming your funeral is prepaid, this could become an inheritance for your survivors. We should aim to be biblical and leave an inheritance to our grandchildren. The Bible says in Proverbs, a good man, not a holy man, not a righteous man, not a tremendous man, a mere good man. That almost sounds like, like the lowest level of humankind on the goodness scale. A good man leaves an inheritance to his grandchildren. There should be something left for your grandchildren. If you're going to do this right. I would recommend that you consider giving things away when you retire from your career. This will help prevent the hoarding mindset. You've got stuff. If you're over 60, 65, you have things you don't use anymore. You have things you've talked about giving to children or grandchildren. Why sit on it? Why not go ahead and divest it now so you can watch them use it and enjoy it? Uh, everything I've ever received was after somebody died. They never got to see where I put the cabinet. They never got to see where I put the book or where I put the picture or where I put the thing that they wanted to give me. They ruined it for themselves. They, they deprived themselves of a blessing. I got my grandfather's shotgun. I got both my grandfather's beloved shotguns. They never got to see me shoot it. One of them died before I was born, so that's not his fault. Dr. Sumrall once wisely observed, you spend the first third of your life getting, the next third of your life using, then the last third of your life giving it all away. That's godly wisdom. The world's wisdom says get all you can, can all you get, then sit on the can. And let the estate sell, divest for pennies on the dollar, and then they take a 40% cut. 
Get all you can, can all you get, then sit on the can. It's selfish. It's also called hoarding. <laughs> Thin your possessions little by little so your children are not burdened with an estate sale. Give some inheritance and heirlooms away while you're alive so you can watch your loved ones enjoy them. And above all else, don't die a hoarder. Your children or grandchildren should not say, you know, we just need a bulldozer and a flamethrower, and this would be over in a day. We just need five gallons of diesel and a road flare and call the ambulance, say, we don't know what happened, but hey, call the fire department, let them come get some practice. But the Bible is very clear. We must get our house in order as we prepare for death. And obviously, the closer you are to it, the more severe your preparations. But once you have them all in order, you are free to enjoy the rest of your life. A lot of our folks in America are so superstitious, they retire and they just win a bagel wit trying to run from death. They retire and they just cruise line it to trying to run from death. Rather than putting everything in order, facing it, staring it down, saying, I know you're coming for me, but it's under my rules. And I have my house in order. And once my house is in order, I can enjoy the rest of my life. Disciplined people get the next day ready the night before. Disciplined people don't go to bed with the house a mess. They don't go to bed without lunch made. They don't go to bed without their clothing selected. Disciplined people go to bed with everything in order so they can enjoy the rest of their evening, lay down in peace, wake up, and hit the day. If you, I don't know. I don't have a doctrine for this. I don't have a scripture for this. But I almost think it would be just of God. If you die messy, you might wake up in heaven messy. If you're going to live for God, you better die for God too. Die organized. Because it's coming for all of us, and you already know it's coming. So start having investments. If you're young and single, you better have a savings account. You better be living beneath your means, and you better have some investments. That way you can have retirement. You can have a college fund for your kids. Start now. Don't be wasting your money chasing the Joneses. You'll just not chase Jones and Caitlin Jones. Not those Joneses. Those are good Joneses. But the Joneses, you know those bad demon-possessed ones. Don't live your life chasing the Joneses. You'll just go to hell a little bit later than they do. Chase Jesus and get your house in order. Amen?